How's it going, everybody? It is a little later than I normally like to record. It is 625 on Thursday evening, December the 12th, 2019, and this is time for the 57th edition of A Trip Down the Homeward Path. This is the show by me. My name is Adam. I am a husband, father of three, and hold down a full-time job, and this is my outlet for competitive magic. This is how I, on a budget, working, no time to test, we find a way to make it work, and I like to share my findings with you, because if I can make somebody's magic playing life just a little bit easier, that's what I'm here to do. So, while we were away this week, we had some updates to organized play, but quite frankly, I don't want to talk a ton about that, because... As someone who doesn't play a ton of things like Grand Prix, that it it it's not something I have any kind of a, a stake in. It, it's not something that I have a massive amount of of time and effort invested into. I am not losing anything from this, so I am the wrong person to give commentary on the changes to Grand Prix and Premier Events on Magic Online. At least for now, <clears throat> as I start playing more on Magic Online, it may change. And I, I may have a little bit more of a stake in it. But at least for the moment, I am, I'm not going to offer commentary on that subject. What I am going to offer commentary on is what our main topic is this week, which is understanding the constraints of a format, which centers around the idea that you need to understand two key things in order to compete in any given format. <coughs> Excuse me. Standard, modern, legacy, commander, limited, whatever it is. There's two things you need to understand. And we're going to break those down as eloquently as I can, given that I'm still in the process of recovering from strep. I'm sorry for the cough. Uh, I, I'm still in the process of recovery. It has gone all the way around the family at home, and I was the last one to get it at least the last one that's that's speaking that got it. So we're just going to try to power through. We're going to soldier our way through it. What you won't feel like you're soldiering your way through is checking out our sponsor at inkgaming.com. Uh, use our promo code CCMTG10 at checkout. That gets you 10% off your order. You can customize your gaming space. It makes a great option with the holidays right on top of us. For the gamer in your life, inkgaming.com upgrade your playing space today and while you're at it head over to the network at constructedcriticism.com and check out the amazing content that the creators on this network are putting out <clears throat> i'll put it this way mtg trailblazers as a pioneer podcast is good enough that i didn't even have to advertise it to my friends they already knew about it and knew it was fantastic and then there's constructed criticism the name of the network the flagship the, the, the show, the myth, the legend. Check it out. Common Knowledge is still the best popper podcast on the web. Not even close. Sorry. And there's tons of other content going on. There's If you look hard enough on YouTube, you can find the, uh, the top eight gameplay from the Discord Open. Like, we're, we're doing a lot of stuff here, people. Now, while you're on the web... If you like what I'm doing and you want to help me keep doing it, head over to patreon.com slash homewardpathmtg. This show and every every piece of uh, major content that I put in is always going to be free. But if you love what I'm doing and you want to help me keep doing it, 
head over there, become a patron, take advantage of the revamped reward system. And you're helping me to keep doing what I love to do. <clears throat> so without further ado, let's dive into our main topic this week. Building decks and formats is hard. Choosing decks and formats is hard. There's, there's not really any getting around that. Magic's a hard game. Especially when you don't have a lot of time, you don't have a lot of, of, of financial resources at your disposal. It's rough. And one of the, one of the kind of ways we like to combat that, or at least I do, is to sort of try to maximize the value out of every event you go to you know, really enjoy every event you go to, feel like you really got a chance to win any event you get into. <clears throat> but it's hard to do because it seems like formats change all the time. It seems like, you know, what was what was good yesterday is not good today. It seems like, you know, a bunch of new players show up and you're not sure what's going on. One of the easiest ways to keep from falling into a pit where you're you're constantly trying to innovate and reinvent the wheel and make sure you're a step ahead of everybody is instead of falling into that cycle, worry about making sure you're building to the constraints of the format you're playing. <laughs> and those constraints fall into two categories for me in a major way. The first category, the first constraint you have to worry about is speed. How fast is your format? And that, that takes on a bunch of different meanings depending on what format you're playing and what deck you're playing against. But as a general rule, there's two kind of, uh, there's two options. There's, there's two ways to look at it. There's the speed of the format as a whole and there's the speed of the game in front of you. <clears throat> the speed of the format as a whole is largely defined by what uh, I, I'm not going to pretend to own this phrase. It was uh, the the place I got it from was uh, Patrick Chapin's book. <laughs> but the 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 phrase is the fundamental turn. It's what turn this format hinges on, <clears throat> and the further back you go, the faster the format gets. It just that's that's reality. That's how it goes. When a format has more cards in it, it becomes more powerful, and thus the fundamental turn moves further down. It becomes a, a lower number. Modern originally was supposed to be a fundamental turn for format. I would argue now modern is more like a fundamental turn three format. When judging the fundamental turn of a format, what you want to do is you want to figure out how fast, reliably, the fastest decks kill you. <clears throat> not how fast their nut draw kills you. Not how fast they kill you when, when everything comes together in just the right order, when the cards fall in just the perfect place. But play a handful, play, play a good sample size game against the deck that operates the most consistently quickly. And using data from that, how quickly can they kill you with their average draw if you're not doing a lot? 
And for me, that usually defines my fundamental turn. And with that data in hand, then you can make decisions based on how you want to go, how you want to proceed, either building a deck or choosing one, right? Because if the format as a whole, even though these, these outlier decks exist, if a lot of the, the other decks people are actually playing are slower than that, then you can get by on trying to get under them. But if we're seeing a lot of these more linear decks, if we're seeing a lot of these decks that try to approach that fundamental turn and then they treat that fundamental turn as a suggestion with the goal of killing you even faster, then you've got some tough decisions to make regarding single card choices, which is to say you've got to figure out how to disrupt it, you got to figure out how to break the combo or uh, remove the creatures so that you don't get run over, uh, gain life, whatever whatever the case may be, that influences your deck building. Like, how good the fast decks are and how fast they are influences deck building. Substantially. A really good example is standard right now. Look at the Mythic Championship. The deck of the Mythic Championship was Simic Flash in the hands of Seth Manfield, Brad Nelson, and Javier Dominguez. And that deck, while absolutely fantastic, was definitely built with the fact that players were favoring more of a grindy, gritty, mid-range, I'm not interested in attacking you early in the game approach. They were more interested in size, they were interested in card advantage, and that's exactly what this Simic Flash deck was built to exploit. While technically the fundamental turn of the standard format is somewhere around five, the reality is the decks that were being played, the decks that were being registered, and the decks that were being talked about, their fundamental turn was more toward like seven or eight. They could kill you fast if you didn't do anything, but because of how the games went, it was difficult to do it without, you know, trading off some resources and then the last person to stick a good quality threat wins. Well, that's where Brad and Seth kind of innovated, or Brad and Seth and Javier innovated and said, well, we're going to be the ones to keep you from sticking your quality threat long enough to stick ours. And therein went the inherent advantage of focusing on what matters. Focusing on not just the fundamental turn of standard as a whole, but the idea that the decks that were the most represented had a different fundamental turn. It's not just the fundamental turn of the format as a whole. It's the, 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 form, the fundamental turn of the format you're going to be playing in. You know, my local format is probably a little faster than the Mythic Championship format was. Because players like to play aggro at lower levels. They get to, you know, they get to go out and take smoke breaks. They get to go out and eat. They get to go out and gather. They get to trade. They get to, you know, peruse the shop. The faster your round gets over with, the more time you have to do that. And that's great. But it influences deck building. I am more inclined to play a deck that has a better aggro matchup locally than I am if I'm trying to win a, a 1K or a, a PTQ or something along those lines. Because my lo my extreme local metagame is going to be faster. It just is. 
Same goes for Pioneer. The Magic Online metagame for Pioneer seems to be shifting toward these uh, Oko mid-range decks. At least based on the, the data that I've been able to accumulate, which is looking at you know, 5-0 lists from MTGO and finding is you know every scrap of information I can, it looks like players are gravitating toward the Oko mid-range decks. Which, while Pioneer is technically a turn four fundamental turn format where you can there, there are plenty of decks that kill you on turn four reliably. It doesn't mean it's always a turn four format. If more and more players are gravitating toward these mid-rangey decks, gravitating towards decks that do powerful things that cost a lot of mana, you can get under that by adopting a deck like Gruel Blitz that gets under them with this really obscenely low mana curve and sometimes you just kill them on turn three. You leave them dead on board on turn three a lot. And they have to play a, they have to play a certain way in order to catch up. They have to have specific cards. The other advantage in, in considering the fundamental turn, it's not just the fundamental turn of the format as a whole. Whether it's the, the grand scheme of the format or just the format that you're planning to play in, it's also understanding the speed of the game in front of you. Because while you may be one of these linear decks that is really, really fast, if you're playing against one of these more mid-rangey decks, that matchup is going to be really hard if you try to just do what you do all the time. They're going to be able to wall you off. They're going to be able to make attacking awkward. They're going to be able to... So you have to play a different way. You have to adjust not just the way, not just deck choice, not just card choice, but the way you leverage certain cards. Like a Tarka's Command plays very differently against a mid-range deck versus how it plays against uh, an aggro deck where you're racing, for example. Or, you know, a Tarkas Command plays very differently after sideboarding against a deck that you know is boarded into life gain than it does against a control deck that somebody built and didn't build a sideboard for at local. These are things that happen. It's just a different, it's a different magic card in those matchups because of how you want to use it. So not just understanding the speed of the format as a whole, but understanding the speed of the game and the match that you are playing. Playing the opponent, the, the opponent's fundamental turn is important to, to realize too. How quickly can they establish what it is they're doing? How long do I have? Whether it's how long do I have to kill you before you set up and are able to, to control the board, or how long do I have to try to set up and control the board before I'm just dead? These are important questions to ask. And in addition to, to the speed of the format, you also have to consider the interaction of the format. And that's the second major point. Interaction in formats drives card choices, whether you realize it or not. A really good example, a really good example is the lightning bolt standard formats of old. Most recently, uh, Alara Zendikar... Uh, Zendikar, Scars of Mirrodin. Both of those formats had Lightning Bolt in standard. The fact that Lightning Bolt was in standard asked a lot out of your creatures that cost more than two mana. 
you could stomach trading two mana for their lightning bolt because lightning bolt was already a little bit too efficient. You could stomach trading two mana for a, for their lightning bolt. But once you start trading three mana for their lightning bolt or four mana for their lightning bolt, it becomes less a good decision to play these more expensive cards that die to lightning bolt. A really good example in Pioneer is the presence of Shock. Shock and Wild Slash. Creatures that cost three or more mana in Pioneer that have two toughness don't tend to get played very often unless they generate value. They have to generate a card's worth of value or they're not worth playing because your opponent's going to trade a card with them. The best way I can describe the way interaction warps deck building, the way it, it interacts with deck choice, card choice, the way you play games, all of it, was a tweet from Paul Rietzel, and I cannot remember how far back this was. But the basic gist of it is he says, the secret to magic at any level is to make sure the interaction that they're playing doesn't work against your deck. And that can mean a lot of different things. If you're an aggressive deck, it can mean making sure the, the popular spot removal isn't as effective against you. Whether by leaving an extra body behind when your creature dies, whether by being resilient to it, or just having answers to that removal. Or just playing a high enough density of threats that being a deck full of spot removal isn't enough to get you over the top. Uh, another really good example is the magic number of four in the current standard. You really want to make sure that you have enough, you want to have four toughness creatures once you start getting up near the top of your curve so that you don't lose them to a massive deafening clarion from the other side of the table or a massive uh, whatever the, the witch's card is from Eldraine if you're playing like a linear deck. You want to make sure you don't get blown out by these kinds of effects, whether you realize it or not, right? You know, it's a really, a really good example would be the Is It Drake's deck. Once people started sideboarding into cards like Crawl Harpooner, once people started sideboarding into, uh, like the Jeskai Control deck started sideboarding into uh, Deafening Clarion last year's standard, Is It Drake became a little bit of a player because your three and four mana creatures live through Deafening Clarion to the point that Jeskai Drake actually became a, pop, a, a, a Dark Horse innovation that was good against other creature decks because you could play Deafening Clarion in your otherwise Is It Aggro deck or your Is It Tempo deck. And that was a big deal. That was a game changer. The ability to do that was huge. There's no reason why something similar couldn't be done here. It's, a, it's, a, it's no secret why Questing Beast is such a powerful magic card, why Shifting Ceratops is such a good magic card right now. The commonly played interaction is stuff like Teferi Time Raveler, is stuff like Deafening Clarion, is stuff like uh, Frilled Mystic and uh, Counterspells in general. And being a four-toughness creature blanks some number of those. In the case of Shifting Ceratops, having protection from blue blanks some amount of those. Questing Beast having haste blanks Teferi Time Raveler because 
You don't care if they bounce it. You just replay it, and it's like you never lost it. It's done its job. You've generated value. You know, whether it means playing, you know, having at you, it determines what you ask of your cards, essentially. The constraints the format puts on you based on the interaction available determine what you ask out of your proactive cards. Another really good example is Thought Seize in Modern. And to a lesser extent in Pioneer, because we don't have Inquisition to pair with it, but the, the Thought Seize Inquisition, Inquisition decks in Modern ask a different tool out of you when it comes to mulligan decisions. Because loose keeps are probably fine against Thought Seize decks because they're going to get ripped. Like, questionable land drop keeps are probably a little bit more fine against Thought Seize decks because they're going to rip your hand apart anyway. So having a couple of extra spells once you start drawing lands is probably beneficial to you. Like, if, you're, if your seven-card hand isn't good against dis a bunch of discard spells, your six-card hand isn't going to be a lot better. So you just keep the extra card. It's a, it's a decision based on the constraints of the game in front of you. Uh, another really good example is... Uh, I've been playing a little bit of mono-white aggro on Arena recently, largely to do quests, but also because one of the constraints of the format right now is that Definite Clarion doesn't get cast until turn three at the earliest. Often turn four because of tap lands and trying to maximize the value of a card like Fires of Invention. And it turns out Dropping a venerated Loxodon on turn three is really good against Deafening Clarion decks. Because you get your chips in on turns two and on, on turn two. You, know, you get your little chip damage swing in on turn two. And then on turn three, you just you you make them have the Clarion. And even if they do, you have this 4-4 that's beaten down. And then it's especially troubling against decks like Gorgari Adventure or Gruul Aggro or those kinds of things that can't really keep pace with putting a bunch of creatures on the table. Similar to the advantage that Aaron Barrich gained from the Selesnya Adventures deck. It's the basic, the basic premise being, if players are going to overload on these little nickel and dime spot removal or one-for-one -one card exchange trades... Let's be the deck that goes over the top of that. Let's get under that. Let's make them need so many of them and so many specific ones that they can't hope to keep pace. On the other side, I've been touting it for a while. The blue-black Terramander deck is one of my favorite things to play because it takes the constraints of the threats of the format into account. Cards like Enter the God Eternals are fantastic against decks that want to play Questing Beast. Epic Downfall doesn't care how big your Lovestruck Beast is. Tyrant Scorn doesn't care that your Lovestruck Beast is a 5-5. Five five. Uh, Cry of the Carnarium makes those 5-5 five five Lovestruck Beasts look kind of awkward because you kill all the 1-1s. One like, it's... The, the constraints of the format do a lot to dictate not just card choices, not just deck choices, but even in-game decisions. I will play the, the same deck different ways based on how I know my opponent is trying to attack me. And that's all I've got for this week, everybody. I'm, I just pulled into the driveway. So... 
Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have questions, comments, concerns regarding the topic that I've laid out in front of you, uh, send them to me on Twitter. I'm at HomewardPathMTG. On Facebook, my name is Adam Spain. Uh, on the Facebook group, the Homeward Pathfinders, it's open invite. Just send a request. You will more than likely be granted access, and we can have a we can have a good conversation. Uh, and if you're a patron of the show, you gain access to the Patron Pathfinders Discord. And last but not least, if you want to give me, if you want to share in the laughs with me, you can send me my favorite things every week, which is hashtag MTG Dad Jokes, which is to say, I love a good pun. I love Magic the Gathering. It just made sense to do these, right? So we're going to start with the first one, if I can get it to pull up here. There it is. <laughs> there it is. It's from Brian David Marshall, who said, this is very annoying. I have a lot of work to do. But Autumn's uh, Mythic Championship Golgari Adventure deck, which I call Warm Pair of Smittens, is so much fun to play, and it just keeps winning. Grade A, BDM. Grade A. I love it. <laughs> Warm Pair of Smittens. Yes. And last but not least, we have uh, from Annalise. Says, Smitten Swordmaster, more like Child of Night with a K. Huh? Huh? Because, I mean, a lot of the time it's just draining for two and you gain two life. And it's a 2-1 lifelink for two on the back. So, you know what? I don't have to explain myself to you. I love it. <laughs> Uh, thanks for listening again, everybody. That's all I got for this week. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, riding in cars this week is likely going to cover, probably going to cover the, the mono white list that I've been playing. Honestly, it is, it is a ton of fun. Uh, it's, I would not go as far as to call it good. I would call it really good and best of one because players don't get to sideboard for you. But it is it is a best of one deck, so bear that in mind when I get around to doing it. And just remember that it's mono white, and it is most definitely a work in progress. But that's coming up on Monday. Uh, notable personal life entries here. Uh, my daughter Esther turned six on the thirteenth. So some of you are listening to this on her birthday. Uh, if you are in the McKenzie area, if you are if you are in the area nearby, we are doing her birthday party at the uh, the Park Theater on the Square. We're watching the movie Home because she loves that movie, and we're doing a space theme. So don't if if you don't worry about bringing a gift, I just want enough people there to celebrate. Because when she was born, the doctors told us she might not live to see two, and she's six. So, we love to celebrate every moment. So That's all I've got for this week. Again, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed. Uh, questions, comments, concerns, I told you where to find me. And we'll see you Monday, and you will hear from me again next week. Y'all take it easy.